2: Yo, what's up, Grinders? Welcome to Sharp DFS Analysis here on Rotogrinders.com. My name is Chris Cimino. I am ecstatic as my Buffalo Bills have finally returned to the NFL playoffs here in Wild Card Weekend, and we are going to be going over that and all the action from a DFS perspective. Joining me to go over that, we've got two guys who have been with us all season long and absolutely killing it with the analysis. We've got from Sharp Football Stats and SharpFootballAnalysis.com, Warren Sharp, what's happening, man?
3: Hey, happy to be here. Looking forward to breaking down some of these games. Uh, Obviously, this is a great time of year. My favorite weekend, though, is next weekend. Uh, We get the divisional round because that one's really good. But uh, these games offer some intrigue, and
2: we'll definitely be able to talk through uh, some edges. Yeah, when you say they offer some intrigue, I think what you really mean is the Bills are terrible and somehow got in the playoffs, and we'll have to go over some good matchups, but mostly just a bunch of, like you said, intriguing Matchups uh, for the rest of the site here, but you know they're going to be giving out the money on DFS sites regardless of how good or bad the matchups or games actually are, Chris. So, joining us, of course, Chris Raybon, senior DFS
1: editor, 444.com. Chris, what's happening? What's going on, man? Happy New Year, fellas. Um, glad to be back here. Interesting little slate. You know, I think there's uh, six teams that weren't in the playoffs last year on the slate in this wild card weekend, so um, some interesting games to talk about.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's jump right into the analysis of the game. We're going to go game by game this week and just talk about some matchups from an analytics standpoint that we think could be useful in DFS. The First game, we've got Tennessee at Kansas City. Uh, This is a favorite for the Kansas City Chiefs at home. It's going to be a cold game, Chris Rabon. So let's talk about it right now. I think that the Kansas City Chiefs, from a DFS perspective, are going to feature some of the most popular plays on the slate. And I think that's for good reason.
1: Yeah, I think it starts with Kansas City with Kareem Hunt these days. Even though we know that the Tennessee Titans do have a pretty decent run defense and a pretty solid front seven, uh, Kareem Hunt is still the guy that you want to look to in this game. Even though Tennessee ranks seventh in run defense DVOA, uh, Tennessee has given up over 100 more receiving yards to uh, than any other team in the league of course we all remember they got lit up by Todd Gurley a couple weeks ago they rank uh, dead last in DVOA against running backs so Kareem Hunt I think is in an interesting spot even if maybe he doesn't quite get it going on the ground he's averaged over five targets a game in the four games that Matt Nagy took over uh, not including week 17 and that that was up from uh, a little under four targets per game in weeks one through 12 under Andy Reid but even more importantly I think, for Hunt is the fact that inside the opponent's 10-yard line, Andy Reid was giving Hunt the ball on about 40% of the team's opportunities, that is carries plus targets, inside the opponent's 10-yard line. But once Matt Nagy took over, that jumped to over 60%, so 62.5%. So, Kareem Hunt getting a significantly increased usage in scoring position. I think, If you're looking for kind of a running back that can match uh, that Todd Gurley type of upside that we've seen Gurley flash. Uh, in week 15 and week 16, Kareem Hunt is probably one of those guys that you know you can look to for that, just because of how good his matchup is in the receiving game and how much he's used in scoring position. Even if his rushing yards don't necessarily blow the lid off, if he doesn't maybe get 100, 120 rushing yards, just that scoring position usage and that receiving usage alone can kind of mitigate that and still give him access to a very high ceiling on par with pretty much any other player on the slate.
2: Yeah, we'll talk about some other backs, a lot of running backs with high ceilings on this slate. Uh, I don't think he'll be the most popular running back, so from a DFS tournament perspective, we'll have to discuss what we think the best plays are. Now, Warren, when I take a look at what the Tennessee defense has done on your site, sharpfootballstats.com, one of the things they have done very well is limit explosive plays, both rushing plays and passing plays. And I think one of the most popular wide receivers on the slate will be Tyreek Hill. What's your opinion of how you think Tennessee's defensive style would affect a guy like him on this
3: Yeah, I definitely think that that's going to be um, a big factor. I think the Titans' explosiveness is the big thing that we need to talk about here. Uh, their ability to prevent explosive passes and runs. They've been able to do it over the course of the season. They've been even better at doing it over the last several weeks and months of the season. Um it, there's no doubt Kansas City needs to try a few explosive passes to Tyreek, uh, but I think the edge that Chris was sort of mentioning is the bigger one. I, I find value on um, potentially some of the props for Kareem Hunt uh, catching the ball out of the backfield. Look. Um, The Kansas City, the Tennessee Titans are also very good against the run. And actually we've seen Kareem Hunt, you know, the the Chiefs sort of recommitted to the run. They had a really good stretch to start the season. But if you look back in hindsight, I mean, I'm going to upset some of the, you know, truthers of of Hunt here, but the three teams that he broke out these 100-plus-yard rushing games on the season, which was only three up until, you know, the last few weeks of the season – those teams ranked 27, 29, and 30 at the end of the day, the Chargers, Redskins, and Patriots in terms of run defense on the season. So as it turns out, like these were just very bad run defenses that he was lighting up. Um, he ended up, obviously, they recommitted to him, gave him 24-plus carries in the, those three last games, of course. Forget the, the last game that he sat out. Um, and he, he obviously did very well in those games as well. But um, – it's going to be interesting here to see how much they'll stay committed to him because those games that they played the last few games that he actually had those carries, you know, they're playing like the Raiders and the Dolphins, not the Tennessee Titans run defense. Um, And so I think the Titans will be able to shut him down a little bit on the ground or at least slow him. And without the explosive nature of passing being available to the chiefs offense here, which I think um, the Titans might be able to limit to some extent, It'll be a lot of shorter to intermediate passes for this offense. Now, that's right up Alex Smith's alley, of course, uh, but I think that it gives a lot of upside to uh, Kareem Hunt as a receiver out of the backfield. They've had a couple of injuries to some of their other running backs, um, so I'm really interested to see what the books line those props at when they put them out, um, and that's definitely one of the, the first spots that I'm going to start looking when I break down this game uh, on the prop market.
2: Last week we saw Derrick Henry – Struggle to get efficiency on the ground. Got plenty of touches as we expected he would. He did have that one long touchdown that everyone's going to focus on when it comes to his performance last week. I didn't necessarily think Derrick Henry looks bad. I don't think necessarily he's a bad player, but I do have some concerns long-term as to whether or not he's some sort of an elite back with elite elusiveness, elite ability to, you know, do the things that like a Todd Gurley can do. Let's say I'll just use him as an example. It's very in vogue. Warren, what do you think about Derrick Henry in this spot against the Chiefs and overall, expand that to the Titans' offensive philosophy and potential attack this week.
3: I mean, I, I don't mind him. Look, Derrick Henry is Derrick Henry. Last week, um, he obviously his overall yardage wasn't that impressive. His yards per carry wasn't that impressive, but on first down, where you know you're going to be running the ball a lot if you're the Titans, he still posted a fifty-seven percent success rate. Now, fifty-seven percent might not sound a lot to to you guys, but the reality is, um, Alvin Kamara and um, uh, uh, Todd Gurley finished number four, and number five on the season in first down success rate. And that rate was 57%. So it's obviously a massively small sample size, but the fact of the matter is he's going up against the NFL's worst run defense right now in the Kansas city chiefs. Um, he, he's going to have the difference between him and DeMarco Murray is this, uh, in my opinion, on early down runs DeMarco, if you want to get two yards or three yards, almost every time, DeMarco Murray is your guy. If you want to stay on schedule, which means you at least need four yards to be successful and grayed out as successful. If you want to stay on schedule more often than not, then your guy needs to be Derrick Henry. Now Derek Henry might have a play where he loses two yards, he might have a play where he gains zero or one yards, but he's going to have a lot more plays where he's gaining four plus yards on first down than would uh, DeMarco Murray. So I, I think it's actually a good thing that there are, Allowing Derrick Henry to, to go here instead of trying to work back an injured DeMarco Murray into the mix, which is what they did earlier in the season. Um, it's it's the matchup against this run defense. I mean, the, the Chiefs' run defense is bad, and uh, it's going to be a coming upon them to try to shut down Derrick Henry because the Titans are obviously a run first team, and that's what they want
2: to do. A great analysis there, Warren. I'm definitely going to have to try to come off these preconceived notions of the player that I've had for a little while here. Looks like a lot of people are in that club liking what he can do on the football field. Chris, when it comes to the Tennessee offense, any final thoughts or notes about how this game might go for
1: them? Well, I think, you know, Derek Henry had 28 carries and a couple targets or 29 carries last week. And I think that they are going to feel like they have to run the football. They don't want, you know, even though they can lo- – limit explosive plays they don't want to get into a situation where they're having to stop you know hill kelsey hunt all those guys so i think their their goal in this game is going to be we need to run the ball you know warren mentioned it kansas city 29th in run d success rate on the season dead last in run defense dvoa so on paper you know if we can see it you know we talk about this all the time coaches don't always do what we think they should do or what we think they um, would be best for their team but in this case it, it's on paper and we can see it and we know that that's also what Tennessee wants to do. They want to run the ball. So I do, I think this is going to be a game where you're going to see uh, Derrick Henry get a repeat of kind of what happened last week, where, you know, he only got 51 yards, but he still carried the ball 28, 29 times. So if, if, if he's doing that with that kind of limited efficiency, you know, unless Kansas city is able to get up big, I think you're still going to see a lot of carries for them um, for Derrick Henry. I think if you're looking kind of for the contrarian angle, on the game, and, and in DFS, it's you're going to say, okay, well, you have to kind of take it with a game stack then, because you have to say, if Kansas City gets up big, that's when uh, Tennessee, you know, w- w- that's really the only way Tennessee would abandon the run game. If that happens, then you're looking at, okay, Marcus Mariota, and, you know, Delaney Walker, and, and the receivers, but the problem is, since, you know, you got Rashard Matthews back, and Corey Davis is back as well, Delaney Walker's, target share has gone down a bit he's been at around uh, like half dozen targets or, or less over these last couple of weeks with with Matthews and Davis kind of uh, getting a little bit more Corey Davis has also led the team in in market share of air yards over the past four weeks and he also has more targets than Richard Matthews over that span now that might that sample might be a little bit uh you know skewed because they played the Arizona Cardinals and Patrick Peterson was on Matthews for that game but um that that's it's just kind of a tough situation where you know Eric Decker's been kind of the most consistent in terms of targets with at least five over the last few weeks so it's a situation where if you're looking for a contrarian angle I think that's when you want to take kind of maybe somebody in the Kansas City passing game or a couple of Chiefs and run it back with Mariota and a couple of Titans but the, the the most likely scenario I think is that Tennessee keeps it on the ground as long as they possibly can and given Kansas City's run defense Tennessee could actually have some success in this game so it might not be quite as uh, much of a a bloodbath as we think if if Tennessee is able to do that and keep the game close it could be one of those lower scoring games but if it's going to be a higher scoring game I think Kansas City has to get up early and then you're then you're looking at um the the uh, the Titans receivers and you know I think Dwayne Walker is always going to be that first choice Um, after that it's almost a shoot because Rashard Matthews hasn't really stood out the the way um, that he should over these last few weeks with Corey Davis back he's not really operating as that true number one anymore the way he was earlier in the season and for most of last season.
2: Excellent stuff there Chris let's move on to our next game here take a look at the Rams and the Falcons currently the Rams five and a half point favorites Warren situation where Todd Gurley, you know, overanalyzing him is probably like beating a dead horse at this point. I think everyone is sort of on board with the idea that he's the best running back on the slate uh, available for usage in multiple avenues for the Rams. So when you take a look at the Atlanta Falcons defense from Jared Goff's perspective and the passing game perspective, do you think that Gurley is going to be a factor in this game? And do you think that Jared Goff is going to have a good fantasy day?
3: Um, I think I think yes to both. Um if the Rams want to win, they they need yes to both. Um the, there's a I, I think a little bit of a misconception. I don't want to say it's completely wrong, but um, propping up this Falcons pass defense as being like one of the best against explosive passes. While they rank tenth on the year in my metrics up at your football stats as being the tenth best, uh they've played the twentieth. Uh, most difficult schedule, so not an incredibly difficult schedule, more on the easier side. But they've only played a few teams that rank in the top half of the league in explosive pass offense. And when they've played those teams, they've allowed 10% of all plays to generate 20-plus yards to grade as a explosive play. Um, and, and that's obviously well below average. When they played the teams that are below you know, uh, middle of the league or worse, they held them to 5%. So uh, you might think, okay, this this is natural for that to happen. Well, the difference is the Rams are actually the third most explosive passing offense in the league, and McVay's done a great job of designing pass plays that are able to gain long yardage but don't necessarily have to be really deep drop backs and really deep throws from Jared Goff, um, which limits the ability of the defense to get a pass rush on him. And, look, I, I think – If you take a look at what the Rams have had to face in terms of explosive pass defenses this season, not only have they played one of the most difficult schedules overall, but from week five onward, they've played 11 games, forget week 17 where they sat, 11 games. In eight of those 11 games, they have played defenses that rank top nine in explosive pass defense. There's only been three games where they played teams that rank 10th or worse in explosive pass defense. They've played an absolutely ridiculous schedule that's going to depress any metrics of having big explosive passing yet. Obviously they've seen a lot of success during that time span. I think they're going to have some semblance of success passing the ball and gaining explosive gains. I don't necessarily mean deep strikes, but I do mean strikes that will gain chunky yardage and help them uh, quickly flip the field.
2: Excellent stuff there. So that's, that's good news. Uh, Jared Goff is very expensive on some DFS sites out there this week, but uh, that could make him slightly more contrarian than he should be if you're looking at DFS rosters and uh, the pass-catching options. Uh, Woods, clearly the number one. They've, they've talked glumly about him over there in Los Angeles, about his role and how he's being used in the office. They've compared him to Pierre Garçon in the Sean McVay offense, Chris. So could be good news if Warren's correct there about the explosive passing of the Los Angeles Rams. Now, on the Atlanta Falcons side, I do expect that Julio Jones – won't be quite as popular as you might expect on a shorter slate for a lot of different reasons, mostly because there are a lot of other options to pay up for, but also because we haven't seen those explosive Julio games much this season. Chris, what do you think about the Falcons offense and how do you think they'll attack the Rams?
1: I think that you're going to see Rams cornerback, Trumaine Johnson, probably follow Julio around for most of the game. But I think in this situation, you're going to see, I think you're going to see Julio get a ton of targets. I think that they've, Kind of heard this, these whispers all year about Julio's uh, underuse and this and that. And these last couple of games, I mean, he has he has had, you know, his usage has just been there. You know, yeah, he hasn't had the the monster games, but I I do think they'll go through Julio. But they they also have been throwing to Devontae Freeman a lot more. He had seven targets a few weeks ago, I believe it was three weeks ago. Then he had eleven targets in week seventeen. So I think that's something that they want to keep on doing. But for the most part, I think you're going to see the Falcons just p- play as they normally do. Um, this Rams off defense, excuse me, has been tough against the pass all season. Uh, you know, and Aaron Donald is going to be somebody that they're going to have to figure out how to stop. So I don't, I don't I expect, you know, maybe, maybe the, uh, you know, maybe they'll do some screens and some stuff like that to kind of slow that pass rush down and to slow him down. So I think, I think Devontae Freeman and Julio Jones are going to be, you know, as usual, just kind of that the, the biggest parts in that game. And you know, Muhammad Sanu is kind of that that second option in the passing game. Uh, I do I do see that the Rams have been somewhat vulnerable inside. You know, Nickel Roby Coleman, he's going to be at a size disadvantage in the slot if he's covering Mohamed Sanu one on one. So I think that that is another place where Matt Ryan may go. Only because we know that Matt Ryan. Is is a kind of quarterback that he likes to take the matchup and take what the defense gives them uh, the Rams are you know third in pass defense dvoA and twenty second in run defense dvoA though so I think you know Freeman in the screen game and freeman uh you know on the ground is going to be is going to be a, a big part of atlanta atlanta's offense but i don't think that i don't really think that julio's not going to get targeted It's just like you said we might not see a, a a blow up game from him, but I think the targets will be there Excellent
2: stuff there. Moving on right along to the Buffalo at Jacksonville game. This is big favorites for the Jaguars at home, Chris. And, look, I mentioned at the start of the show I am a Buffalo Bills fan. Happy to be back in the playoffs. Happy to have the drought over. But the game script paints itself pretty clearly as one where the Jaguars should attempt to exploit the weakness of the Buffalo defense. Uh, First talk about that weakness and then paint the rosiest possible picture for a Bills fan of how – this game could possibly go differently
1: than what we expect it to. Yeah, this game is really interesting because it's, it's one of those games where, at, on one hand, it's kind of the game where I could see the biggest blowout, you know, of Jacksonville just destroying the Bills. But on the other hand, I, I also feel like it's the most likely upset just because when you have, you know, two teams that, you know, they're more built around defense than offense, you can always get into these kind of lower scoring games where, you know, a turnover or something – unexpected kind of tilts the whole game. So it is an interesting game from that perspective. But Buffalo, as you alluded to, they rank number 31 in the league in run defense DVOA. They are 12th in pass defense DVOA. So this is a clear defense that is weak against the run. They they try to limit – plays over the top both in the passing game and the running game we remember against kansas city they actually played two safeties deep even though they were going up against kareem hunt and still managed to stop him but that was one of the only times all year that their run defense really stopped anyone buffalo is um they only in 25 percent of their games have they not given up a rushing touchdown that's tied for worst in the league so pretty consistently Buffalo giving up production on the ground. So I think this is a game where Leonard Fournette, he's only had under 20 touches only three times all year. I think the Jaguars, this is exactly what they want. It's another situation where, again, there's certain teams where we don't know exactly what they're going to do, but like the Titans, the Jaguars are a team that has shown that they want to run the football and it matches up perfectly. So yeah, you could say, well, Buffalo is going to sell out to stop the run, but that really, you know, that, that might not work or it might, you know, they, they haven't really been able to stop the run all season outside of, you know, one game against really Kansas City when Kansas City was having issues probably even beyond what, what Buffalo was having on defense at the time. So, um, you know, that, that's, kind of how, that's kind of how the Jaguars are going to attack it. Now, if Buffalo is going to win, I think it's going to really come down to their defense and to forcing turnovers. You know, Buffalo hasn't made the playoffs in a number of years but neither have the Jaguars. And these are going to be two inexperienced teams going into the playoffs in terms of playoff experience. And in general, they're pretty, for the most part, young teams on the younger side. So you could see, even though Jacksonville is at home, you could see Blake Bortles make some mistakes. You could just see other players on that team make some mistakes on special teams or whatnot. And I think that's how the Bills would win. I think if you're looking for a contrarian angle in DFS, it's definitely that Bills defense perhaps stacked with somebody like Sean McCoy because I know he's gimpy and ankle injuries actually do have about an 11% effect in terms of lowering production for a running back. But at the same time, there's, there's almost no other way that Buffalo wins this game except, you know, their defense and except with Sean McCoy. So um, that's kind of the contrarian angle in DFS. But if, if, I'm, if I have Leonard Fournette in my lineup, I don't even think I want to run it back with anyone on the Bills passing game or anything like that. I just want Fournette and I want the Jaguars' D. And I just, you know, Fournette, I, I ran the correlations. Fournette is pretty much negatively correlated to every other uh, Jacksonville skill player. Um, And you you don't always see that with running backs. Like, for example, Todd Gurley, um, he's actually positively correlated uh, with with guys like Jared Goff, Sammy Watkins, you know, Gurley to Goff. I mean, Goff to Gurley, excuse me, is one of the stronger correlated stacks on this whole slate. Um, but Fournette, Bordos to Fournette is not the same, and um, you know it, I think if if the Jaguars have their way, it's going to just be Fournette running the ball. Um, and if it's a contrarian type of situation where something we don't expect happens, I think you're going to see turnovers and that Bills defense flourishing.
2: All right, Warren. So tight end position, pretty pretty sparse here on this week. Just a couple of really usable options. Charles Clay has been getting a lot of targets for the Bills, but. My concern is that the Jacksonville defense isn't a great matchup individually for him. Do you have anything positive to say about the Bills' offense here, or is this mostly all good things to say about the Jags' D?
3: No, I mean, there are a few things uh, positive about the Bills, but as Chris mentioned, it kind of they hinge around LeSean McCoy being there at better than 75%. I mean, uh, he's indicated that something along the lines of he doesn't want to play, if, if he can't cut uh, without pain, I mean – let's be realistic. Like it's, you're going to have to do what you have to do. Um, get it shot up or, or, or something. But I mean, uh, your team needs you out there and unless you really can't do anything, like if it, if it hurts a little bit when you cut, then it hurts a little bit when you cut, like I, I, their backup is not going to get the job done here. So they're going to need them out there. But I will say this um, on the loan positive uh, for the bills. Well, there's a few positives. Number one, you look at what they've done over the last like six, seven weeks, and their losses have come against really good run offenses, like really, really good run offenses. If you throw out the Chargers game where Peterman was in there and, and stuff, um, they got crushed by the, the Saints who ranked number one. Um, they got beat pretty handedly by the Patriots both times, but they ranked number three in rushing efficiency. Um, they were able to beat the Chiefs who are a top five run offense. And they were able to beat the Colts and the Dolphins twice. Both those teams are, you know, bottom 10 rushing offenses. Jacksonville somewhere in the middle there. They rank like 12th to 15th in some of my metrics. Um, the, the, The other positive for them is that Jacksonville obviously is susceptible to being run on. And against running back passes, they rank 29th. So, I mean, that's why it's so vital for me in this matchup, like the main thing that Buffalo needs is the thing that they lost last week. And so it really sucks for the Buffalo fans uh, because you got there, but you lost the key thing that you're going to need to have a chance. Um, but may, maybe he comes back and maybe he plays well. We'll just have to see. Um, on the reverse side, the only thing I'll add here is uh, that kind of negates a little bit of what I said about the Jags rushing offense being, you know, mediocre is that over the last, like since what week 10, They played nothing but really good run defenses. And San Francisco, they played in week 16. Their run defense, as we discussed on the show, was trending upwards, uh, not being on the field quite as much with Jimmy Garoppolo. So they were playing better, but they were basically playing teams that rank inside the top 13 in like all seven of those games in terms of difficulty uh, to run the ball against those teams. And one of the things that we saw – when they were playing some of these difficult and run teams, like if you guys remember back when they played the Colts, I think it was like week eight or something, they went to Indianapolis and Indy matched up good with the run defense. So we thought, hey, maybe that you know the Jags might struggle a little bit here. They just let Blake Bortles throw the ball all over that secondary. We saw Blake Bortles throwing the ball a lot more down the stretch against some of these teams, especially that game against Seattle where he's throwing the ball a fair amount as well. But those were teams that had weaknesses against the pass but strengths against the run. And Buffalo, like we just mentioned, 31st against the run. So Jacksonville should have a lot of success. It'll definitely be a change of pace for them going up against a team that's easy to run the football against um, than, than some of these difficult opponents that they faced in the last half of the season.
2: All right. So I guess I'll, I'll have to settle for there's a chance, but it does look pretty good here for the Jaguars to get it done at home here in this contest. Let's go ahead and move on to the last game of the slate, Warren. It's, the Carolina Panthers, the New Orleans Saints. I want to give Sean Payton some credit for taking Alvin Kamara in the draft, despite the fact that you could have easily seen that he had some guys uh, like Ingram. I think they had Adrian Peterson in hand when that selection was taken as well. Went ahead and found a way to get him on the field early in this season, has gotten the most out of those backs. But now there's an interesting situation from a matchup perspective where the Carolina Panthers have actually been most susceptible, as far as I can tell, to a wide receiver position in their recent weeks so how do you think that Sean Payton will come out and attack this defense today? Is it, go, is it going to be the running backs again? I can't imagine they don't use them uh, as heavily as they possibly can, but do you think that this game script will include more Saints passing?
3: Um, I, I think it will be very balanced, and I think the amount of passing always will come down to game script for the Saints in the second half. Um, how the run game's doing, how much of a lead do they have. Uh, the Panthers secondary obviously has been a little bit more susceptible – over the last, you know, half the season in terms of deep passing. Uh, But I will say that, you know, one of the things that's really concerning about this matchup in general, and, you know, the the Panthers in the past have been able to do a little bit better against the Saints than they've done this season. One of the things that's causing an issue for the Panthers is that they rank 28th in explosive run defense. And that's a big strength of the Saints. Obviously they rank fifth best um, having gone up against a pretty decent schedule. So, you know, you've got these two, sides of the ball here where uh the the panthers might be good overall and run defensive efficiency but they're allowing big runs and unfortunately the way i define explosive runs are 10 plus yards but you know we've seen these saints backs i mean they don't stop at 10 yards you know they don't stop at 11 yards they're they're breaking 30 40 50 yard rushes and and they're tremendously dangerous in the open field whether they're juking you sprinting past you or knocking you over um so they're dangerous when they get into space, which is why um, the, the Panthers absolutely have to do a better job of not just being consistent, like overall successful, which is one of the things that their strength is, but um, at, at really limiting those second level rushing yards, uh, which is easier said than done. But I do think that the the Saints will have some success uh, throwing the ball against this defense too. So it's going to be a very balanced attack in my opinion.
2: Yeah, that's uh. That certainly makes a lot of sense. It would be consistent with what Sean Payton has done in his career, where he, you know, he seems to devise his offense uh, in a very consistent manner. Like they've been more balanced than I think people would give them credit for. Although, you know, the attempts are down for Drew Brees this season, Chris. So when you take a look at this matchup uh, from the other side of the ball on the Carolina side of things, if the Saints are able to stay balanced and do what they want to do, how do you think that means we'll see Carolina come to the table from an attack standpoint?
1: I mean, I think at this point, Cam Newton's really struggling with his accuracy in the passing game. He had, If you look at his passing numbers over these past, pretty much the almost the full second half of that season outside of the game against the Green Bay Packers, they haven't really been there. So I think that in, in that game against the Green Bay Packers, they had a lot of success throwing the ball to Christian McCaffrey. I mean, they came out on the first drive of the game, I believe, and McCaffrey might have had 50, 60 yards on that drive alone. So I think that's what you'll see first and foremost from the Panthers. They're going to say, okay, well, you know, Cam Newton's struggling throwing the ball down the field, as he has for his entire career in terms of just the accuracy. It's, it's there sometimes, it's not sometimes. Uh, Devin Funches, we don't know if he's fully healthy. He Every week he pops up on the injury report with a shoulder issue, and his play has kind of tailed off a little bit. Um, so I think that Christian McCaffrey could set a season high in touches in this game. I think they're just going to plan to get him the ball as much as they can to get Cam Cam Newton some easy yardage and some and, and some easy throws and not force him to always have to chug it down the field to chuck it down the field to Funches, who you know that that that's erratic and then Greg Olson, you know, he was only one of nine passing to Greg Olson last week as well I expect that to improve I think if you're looking for kind of an x-factor in this game you know we know Christian McCaffrey is going to kind of get his so I don't necessarily wouldn't call him an x-factor because on the other side of the ball you have uh, Alvin Kamara who can essentially match Christian McCaffrey and a lot more but I think an x-factor is really Greg Olson because over these last three weeks you know Greg Olson came back uh, then he missed the game again then he came back again and he, the first game back, he had he played on ninety over 90% of the snaps, but wasn't even targeted. But in the three weeks since then, weeks 15 through 17, Olsen leads the team in targets. He's averaging nine per game. And he leads the team in a market share of air yards. And that's per airyards.com. But he has 37% of the team's air yards, which is, which is a really big number. So that's kind of that hidden that hidden upside and that hidden yardage that really, you know, has, Carolina hasn't been able to convert that. But – that's going to kind of, I think, be the X factor. If they can get the Greg Olson back that they've had in the past and the Greg Olson that can you know, put up a 100-yard receiving game, that's what they're really going to need. And I think that's kind of probably going to be their second aim because I don't think that they're going to necessarily rely on Devin Funches for as much production as maybe he had been giving them early into the middle part of the year because the Saints have Marshawn Lattimore. That's a defensive player of the year, a defensive rookie of the year candidate right there. And Marshawn Lattimore has been very successful in coverage. He can travel if he needs to. And so I, I don't necessarily think that Funches will have a ton of success. You know, we always talk about Funches have these size mismatches against a lot of corners. But the reality is that size mismatch doesn't always mean as much because uh, a lot of these corners that, that he has size mismatches on are just faster than him. So it's like, yeah, sure, if you're bigger than a guy, that's fine. But if the guy can just, like, cut and, and run to the ball and break up the pass you know, because they're, they're just faster than you, it kind of negates it. So I think Funchess will struggle. I think McCaffrey will see a ton of work. And I think the X factor, the, the, the fact that that's going to depend if Newton really has like a ceiling game or not is going to be whether Greg Olson, whether he can connect with Greg Olson and, and get that kind of 80 to hundred yards or, or more out of Olson. All
2: right. Excellent job guys. Let's cap off this episode with, a little bit of a curveball, Chris. I'm going to ask you a question for two players. I want to know the player that you think you're going to need in these big DFS tournaments to get it done, and the under the radar play you think you're going to need in order to fit him in to your lineup.
1: The player I think you're going to need, I'll put it, there, I'll, I'll give you, i give you a, I think you're going to need a Jared Goff to tie Gurley stack. I think that's nice. What you need. Um, And then the player that I think that you might need to fit that in is going to be, I'm going to say a Titans wide receiver. Um, Probably uh, one of – one of Corey Davis or Eric Decker, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say one of those two guys is gonna come up is gonna come up big, um, or, or not big, but you know he's gonna he's gonna get some production just because Kansas City has been weak against wideouts. And if Kansas City can get a big, like I mentioned, they're gonna to have to throw a bit. So I think those two guys are pretty a priced at a level where you can kind of that kind of cancel out Gurley to some extent. So you know Goff is kind of there with all the other quarterbacks, but um, yeah, I think so. Those are I'm going Goff Gurley and then uh, Titans wideout.
2: All right, Warren, similar question. Just a play that you think you have the most, you know, the most strong feelings for, for this slate, not named Tiger late.
3: Um, Yeah, I think, I think we have to just go back uh, to the Chiefs backfield. Um, I think there's a lot of upside there um, for the Chiefs and the run game. Um, so I think both out of the backfield as a receiver, um, as well as a rusher, um, so I think that there's a lot of upside there. And then a player that I think might need to, um, or who could, like if you put him on some tournaments, uh, help you, it's, it's, but he's got high variance in my opinion. has uh, got to be, you know, we just talked about the, the uh, Panthers and their passing game. And, you know, I think they need to run the football a lot uh, but it, it could be one of the receivers opposite of Devin Funches. I mean, they don't have many people. I'm a little bit down on Greg Olson, um, and I think Funches could get taken out of the game to some extent. Um, and if you look at the the spread and the way this game's probably going to go, you probably are going to find the Panthers trailing. I think it's incumbent upon them to be able to run the football and not turn this into like a Buffalo Bills type scenario where. Their offense is getting off the field quickly, and the Saints can just wear down their own run defense. Um, So, one of those guys uh, opposite of Funchess is going to have to come through uh, for the Panthers to have some success. And they're probably going to have to get, you know, a little bit more frequent targets to them um, in the in the last half of this game due to the fact that they probably will be behind on the scoreboard, and this is a all or nothing type game. Um, I, I also think that you know this is a high variance game for Cam Newton he could either run the ball really well and have a really good day um scoring through the air and on the ground or it could be a game where you know he gets smacked in the mouth early doesn't have a lot of success passing and then just ends up to be a total dud so I don't really have a very good feel for him but he is a guy who uh, of all the quarterbacks on the slate um one of the guys who could probably in an underdog role uh Carry your team the
2: furthest if he hits. All right, guys, that is going to do it for the wild card edition of Sharp DFS analysis. Stay tuned for the rest of the Saturday and weekend programming here on Rotor Grinders. You can check out what Warren does, Sharp Football Stats, and SharpFootballAnalysis.com. You can also check out what Chris does on 444.com in the DFS MVP Pod. Best of luck in all of your contests, for Warren, for. Chris, I'm Chris. We'll be back again next week.